It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. I'm Barbie Nadeau in Rome, where a spike in COVID-19 cases fueled by the Omicron variant all across Europe has led to a variety of new restrictions. Here in Italy, it's now mandatory to wear face masks outdoors. We're outside of a testing center where people here aren't necessarily getting tested because they feel symptomatic. They want to meet with friends and they want to know that they're COVID-free before they do that. But some of these restrictions have been met with violent protests. In Germany especially, people gathered to protest against restrictions there. Twelve police officers were injured in clashes overnight as people there tried to resist against the restrictions ahead of New Year's. All right, that's a report from CNN, and that is really true. That's happening all across the globe, especially in Europe. We've got it happening in Australia and Britain. Uh, and just truly across the globe, people are in the streets protesting the COVID lockdowns. And uh, we've covered that as faithfully as we know how, but uh, no better way to cover it than to talk to someone who's actually living in Europe. Uh, Soren um, Kern has been our guest before. It's been a long time, though. Uh, he comes from, he has a fascinating background. He is American, but he lives in Spain with his wife. He is a senior fellow at the Gatestone Institute. And by the way, that's a, a think tank that's based in New York City. It really became famous to me when John Bolton was in his a prime, uh, and uh, I actually had the privilege of going to New York and participating in some of their seminars up there. They do great work. Uh, he's also a senior analyst for the European politics at the Madrid-based Strategic Studies Group, and that's a think tank uh, in Spain. He is um, His specialties are American foreign policy, American politics, and transatlantic defense and security-related issues, but uh, he has been studying a great deal about the rise of Islam in Europe, and on a different day, we'll be talking about that with him. He's a contributing analyst for Jane's Information Group in Basque uh, and Islamic Terrorism in Spain and France, um, and uh, he served in the U.S. Air Force and stationed in Germany. I can relate to that because I was in Germany in Berlin a number of years ago when my husband was uh, based there with the Army. And uh, he served there during the last decade of the Cold War. He worked as a defense analyst at Science Applications International Corporation. And uh, boy, I could go on and on. He's got a great resume. He graduated with a degree in diplomacy and international security from the School of Foreign Service at Georgetown University in Washington and much more. He's a dual citizen of the United States and Germany, but resides in Spain with his beautiful wife, Monica. And he joins us this morning. Soren, thanks for joining us. Hello, thanks you for having me. You know, Soren, when I talk to you, you have a bit of an accent. And I'm trying to figure that out. I know you speak a lot of different languages like English, German, and Spanish, but do you think living in Spain has, have you, have you, did you, were you, are your parents foreign born and did you have an accent when you were living in America? Um, well, my parents are both from Germany, but I grew up in the United States. I grew up in Wisconsin. 
And so they do have a strange accent farther north as you go in the Dakotas, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin. So that might be it. <laughs> that might be that might be it. I'll have to listen for the Packer in uh, inflections. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> that's that's interesting. I did not know that about you, Soren. You've certainly been. I think you've traveled in a hundred different countries, but you have uh, settled in Spain. Is your wife Spanish? Uh, she's Colombian, but we met here at a church in Spain fifteen twenty years ago, and we really like it here. The quality of life is really good. The weather is good. It's a safe country. And it's easy access from here to the rest rest of Europe. So we're really, really blessed to be able to to be here. Yes. Well, uh, you were in the the last time you and I spoke. It was a very dark and difficult time, and it was uh, during the, the the initial outbreaks of COVID. And Spain, of course, was hit really hard. I think, as I recall, there was a strong connection with uh, China at the time. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Soren. Was there some connection with Wuhan and Spain at the time that made you guys uh, get kind of a, a harder hit than some other countries initially? Well, I think what happened was that um, the main connection in Europe was with Italy, between Italy and China. And since um, there's a lot of travel between Italy and Spain, it's very clear that the first cases that came to Spain came through Italy. And the government here was very late in reacting, I mean, much later than other governments in Europe. So it really gave Spain, um, you know, it gave the virus uh, a lot of opportunity to expand here before, um, you know, the government really realized what was going on. Yeah, and initially, uh, it's kind of, you know, it's an interesting story, and it's only been, well, it's been a year plus, a year and nine months maybe. And initially, it's so hard to take your mind back to those initial stages but surely, as we saw the people of China, you know, drop in the streets, and we saw horrendous views of uh, hospitals in Italy overrun, and the stats were showing that uh, people in Italy and Spain, especially the elderly population, were just dying in droves. Um, did that? Uh, what happened in Italy? Let's talk about that first, since that's your home country right now. Uh, did how did the restrictions set in in Italy? And in Spain, and then how? What are they like now? Well, the the, um, the government once it got to understanding what was going on here, they imposed a very draconian lockdown, and that was for at least three months, possibly more. I can't even remember now how long it was. So it was very strict. Um, you know, people could only leave their homes to go to get groceries or to go to the doctor or a pharmacy, and so that was here. You know, that was very, very hard. Um, no children are allowed in school. The schools were not really prepared. So the children went weeks and weeks without any classes until, you know, the schools were able to figure out how to do things by by video. And then the government, um, you know, we're in the sixth wave here in Spain. In other parts of Europe, they're in the fourth wave or the fifth wave. So, you know, it's really hit Spain pretty hard. Um, we've had almost 500,000 new cases in the last um, 72 hours. So I was just watching the news, the afternoon news. Um, about two people are getting infected by COVID here every minute. Uh, every second, I'm sorry. So basically, it's something that is really out of control. And um, um, the government, I think, here has just said um, this is something that you know, lockdowns cannot control. We've had lockdowns. 
the Spanish Supreme Court ruled that the lockdowns are illegal, they're unconstitutional. Really? So I think the government has just sort of given up. Yes, the, um, the Constitutional Court ruled that um, all the lockdowns in Spain were unconstitutional. Really? And that the government, the central government, was required to return um, all of the fines. Tens of thousands of people received fines for violating the lockdowns, whether um, they didn't have masks on or whether they didn't have their papers in order. And the government was required to return literally tens of millions of euros worth of, of fines that were um, ruled as unconstitutional. Soren, that's, you know, Spain is a very I, that's shocking. I have to tell you, I talk about this almost every day, not necessarily Europe, uh, but certainly about COVID and its effects here and around the world. And that's a story I had not heard of all that I have read. That's that's stunning because the rest of the world is just going through, I think, even worse lockdowns. So Spain is not. Let me ask you the you know the Omicron variant, uh, as as I'm reading it, is very mild, and is really not claiming very many lives. Uh, and and, uh, and so from our, my perspective and what I've read and what we're seeing here, people are getting sick, but it's mild, and it's not deadly. Is that what you're seeing there? Yes, it's nothing near as um, as bad as it was at the beginning of the pandemic. Of course, unfortunately, um, many of the older people have died, and many of the people with, you know, obesity problems, and you know, the people who are particularly vulnerable to COVID have already passed. So, what we have here is a situation where you have a variant that is not quite as, um, you know, deadly as previous variants, and the percentage of the population that is extremely vulnerable to this is already gone. So uh, my view is that this is going to peak probably in another month or so, and then it will go back down like previous, um, like previous waves. So, you know, what's concerning is um, in France yesterday, they announced a new variant that apparently is coming from West Africa. So the question really is like, how long is this going to continue? Um, how many variants are there going to be and how many more lockdowns and how many more, you know, waves of COVID are there going to be? We were really encouraged by the end of, you know, 2021 that this was basically the worst has been over. You know, Spain is um, 80% vaccinated. France is 90% vaccinated. And as it turns out, the countries that have the highest vac vaccination rates here in Europe are also the countries that are having the highest number of new infections of the Omicron virus um, variant. So it's becoming very clear to large portions of the populations in European countries that these vaccines are not doing what they were promised to do. And I think that's just contributing a lot to the protests because people see that the governments are not being held accountable. There's a lot of dishonesty. There's a lot of deception. Um, there's a lot of incompetence. And the governments really are doubling down. They can't admit that, you know, previous policies were wrong, they're erroneous. And what they're trying to do really is um, force the small percentages of the populations that are still unvaccinated to make life so complicated for them that they will just submit and get the vaccine. And this is really what is driving this, um, this latest wave of protests really protests in almost all European countries. Um, and it's not so much protest against the vaccine itself, but it's the, it's the, the manipulative 
in authoritarian, authoritarian, really unconstitutional ways that regional governments are trying to force people, you know, to discriminate really against the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. When people can clearly see that the vaccine, if somebody is vaccinated or not vaccinated, really has no bearing on um, this latest wave of COVID. Yes, well, listen, we are seeing the very same thing, Soren. Totally tracking. And uh, some people mm-hmm. view the contagion of the Omicron as in some ways a blessing because it's going to bring natural immunity, which is the strongest immunity, much stronger than any shot, which we can see now. You've just testified to it. That's what we're seeing here, uh, that this will be a a blessing. It's a a milder form, and it will render people immune. I just read an article about uh, can you, you know, get, can you get COVID after you've had COVID and basically, you know, the, 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 some of the studies show that some, there are some reinfections, but for the most part, it says no, that even if you have a mild case, uh, you remain immune, you have really good, strong immunity. That's kind of the general, there's a good breakdown on it, but that's, that's the bottom line of it. It doesn't mean no one ever, ever, ever gets reinfected. Sometimes they think that that may be because of a faulty test. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, it's uh, complicated, but basically, this actually could be a blessing. So, are you saying that in Spain, as, at this point, uh, the unvaccinated are not being punished? Are they still being punished in some way, even though you don't have lockdowns? Well, let me put it this way: that there's a media campaign by the government and uh, the news media um, to completely blame this sixth wave on the unvaccinated. The um, the unvaccinated are being demonized yes. day in and day out on all the talk shows, on all the news programs, yes. as if it's the problem, as if, if it's the fault of the 20% of the people who in this right. country who are um, who unvaccinated. Are now, yesterday in, the, yesterday in oh, one of the main sorry, national hold, news programs... Hold, that, hold yes. that thought, just because I want you to be able to tell okay. the story without being interrupted, because there's the music. So let's take a break, sure. and when we come back, I'll come back with that report. We're seeing the same thing here, and it's important to make, to beat this horse as often as we have to until truth prevails, and that's really what I'm in the business of doing, and you are too, Soren. So my guest is Soren Kern. Uh, Again, he writes for Gatestone. He's written a great piece on this, and we'll talk about that in just a second, too. Sandy Rios, in the morning on AFR Talk. Sandy Rios, in the morning on American Family Radio. Well, as Soren Kern was just telling us, the unvaccinated have been become the object of wrath for many country, countries in Europe. It's also true uh, in this hemisphere. It's true in Canada. Justin Trudeau just made a speech recently, and I want you to hear what he had to say. Now, he's speaking in French, but as he speaks in French, I'm going to tell you what he's actually saying. Let's listen. Oui, on va s'en sortir de cette pandémie yes, par la vaccination. We will get out of the pandemic by vaccination. We all know people who are a little bit hesitant. We will continue to try to convince them. But there are also people who are fiercely against vaccination. They are extremists who don't believe in science. They're often misogynists, also often racists. 
It's a small group that muscles in, and we have to make a choice in terms of leaders, in terms of country. Do we tolerate these people? Or do we say, hey, most of the Québécois people, 80% are vaccinated. We want to come back to things we like doing, and it's not those people, the vaccinated, who are blocking us. All right, so the, the unvaccinated, they're often, uh, they don't believe in science. They are often misogynists and also often racist. Okay, so Soren, that's uh, the premier of Canada, prime minister of Canada, Trudeau, Justin Trudeau. So you were just telling us the kinds of things that are happening in Spain to, to demonize the unvaccinated. Can you continue that story? Well, sure. Um, that exact same thing is happening all over Europe. Um, it's a blame game. Um, against the unvaccinated. Um, They're saying this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Um, And the data just doesn't doesn't show that that is true. And so the Spanish government, they um, denigrate denigrate everyone here who um, is skeptical about the vaccines as being far right or as being what's called negationist. It's a term that I guess the Spanish government sort of made up, is that people who are just... um, denying that COVID is a reality. And you see, it's, it's not truthful. The people are not negating, they're not denying that COVID, that there's no pandemic, that COVID is not a problem. What they're basically upset about is that the governments are essentially forcing people to get vaccinated. And it's now they're beginning to vaccinate children here between the ages of five and above. And there have been no trial. There's no trial data about um, what is the long-term effect of these vaccines? And so what you see is basically the media and the governments here are demonizing people who are just waiting for the science. They just want some legitimate data on the effectiveness and on the safety of these vaccines. And there's a lot of manipulation on the news media. And um, yesterday, one of the main um, national news um, broadcasters, they were saying basically that um, according to the data, 20% of the people who are now in the hospital are unvaccinated. But they, what they, they presented in a way that that would mean that 80% of the people who are in the hospital right now are vaccinated. Right. And so they manipulate the data, I guess, believing that people are not going to do the math or figure it out for themselves. And they just basically leave it there. It's saying like the unvaccinated are responsible for um, the overload of the hospital units, when in fact 80% of the people who are in the hospital with COVID are vaccinated. And so you see this sort of manipulation over and over and over again, and people are fed up with it. And this is really, I think, what's fueling um, a lot of these um, protests in Amsterdam, in, um, in Berlin, in Germany, in large German cities, in France, and even here in Spain. There's been a surprising amount of uh, pushback against what the government is doing, particularly here, we live on the Mediterranean coast. Um, so, you know, Spain is a very decentralized country. There's 17 different autonomous regions. And so, you know, particularly here where we live, um, the, the regional government is forcing the vaccinations to be taking place in the schools. Oh boy! So in other communities in Spain, um, it's in the medical center, the hospitals, or they have sports stadiums that are set up for mass vaccination. But here, they're trying to force the children to get vaccinated in the schools. And Mm -hmm. so you see this is just basically um, a really big problem where governments are 
um, are basically out of control. And I think a lot a... of these these protests are they're taking place is trying to um, bring attention to this. Unfortunately, um, the news media doesn't really um, report about the protests. Only if the protests turn violent. You know, the only way you can really find out is about the true extent of these protests if you look on social media. And so you see there's just a deception by the media, inception by the regional government, and it's all intent to shame people and to make life so complicated for people that they just give in and say, okay, I'm just going to get vaccinated and get my life back. Soren, we're having the same if experience. I, if I can just, yeah. Mm-hmm. We're having if I can the just same experience. Ex- what's going on in, in yeah, France? is when France, um, in November, the French government instituted the vaccine passport. And that basically allowed people who have a vaccine or who have a negative test, they can enter restaurants and bars and um, gymnasiums and cinemas. This week, the French parliament is voting on a new vaccine pass that makes the test invalid. You cannot enter any public venue unless you're vaccinated. In other words, they've moved from the, vac- the previous vaccine pass that is either a vaccine or a, te- or a negative test to now only vaccine. So basically, they're shutting out the unvaccinated in France of public life. And this is going to be voted in the parliament this week, and I think it's going to be voted um, debated in the Senate and the French Senate later on and supposed to take effect on the 1st of February. And this is taking place in Austria and in many other countries. And what they're doing basically is people who refuse to get vaccinated are going to be um, shut out of public life. And what you have well, a situation like in Sweden, where now they want to implant microchips that essentially have your vaccine passport on a microchip, like they put in uh, pets where, you know, I imagine in America they do this to where they have a microchip where you know, the medical records of the animal is in the ear. What they're doing in Sweden is to implant a microchip so that people, you know, if they go to the grocery store, they go to the cinema or the gym or whatever, they just put their hand or their arm underneath a cold reader and immediately their vaccine status becomes available. So this well, we is bo- really it's very frightening. way beyond... Mm-hmm. Yeah, very frightening. Sure. We yes, we know what that sounds like. I mean, I did not say you did. You you said that you are a when you do your writing, Soren, you are not writing for Christian publications, at least to my knowledge. So you don't lead with your faith in Christ, but you and I have that in common. You're an evangelical Christian. And so that reminds you know, what does that remind us of? I mean, we're not prepared to have a biblical discussion of this, but it certainly is a cousin uh to uh, the mark of the beast, which is you know predicted in Revelation, that you cannot buy or sell unless you have the mark. I mean, it has to be related to that in some way, and that's what makes this incredibly frightening. You know, so... Yeah, um, I think basically what is happening is it's a, it's a conditioning of populations in the West to ex- eventually accept the mark of the beast. This is not the mark of the beast, obviously, because the Bible says clearly that the mark of the beast is pledging allegiance to the Antichrist, and this is not anything like that. But basically what I think this is doing is it's conditioning um, societies to be willing to take that mark so that they can participate, so that they can buy or they can sell 
like the Bible says, will be the requirement to do that, you know, in in, in the tribulation period. So I definitely think um, that this is preparing mentally large swaths of Western populations to accept the mark. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I hope that right. sound crazy, but... <laughs> No, no, it doesn't. I'll tell you, I, we, there was a sound clip I wanted to use with you this morning. And basically, it's a, a Holocaust survivor who's still alive. He's in his 90s. And he talks about how uh, he does this very so poetically. I, I can't do it justice. But basically, he talks about how uh, with the Jews, at first, you could not go, Jews could not go to uh, swimming pools, except later. They couldn't go when everyone else went. And you said to yourself, well, that's that's all right. We'll just go later and not fuss about it too much. <clears throat> or and then you could not go and uh, buy in the gross in the stores until the after hours or certain days between certain hours. And it was very inconvenient. But you said to yourself, "Well, at least we can still buy. It's not so bad. We can adjust to this." And he goes through the whole thing. And then he says, "This is exactly what's happening, and this is how they conditioned people, not only the Jews, to accept their." Uh, they're less than status, but it was also conditioning the population to view Jews uh, in a, in a uh, targeted less than way than normal people. And I think it's exactly, Soren, it's exactly what's happening uh, for whatever reason. And as you look at this, we see the same pattern all over the world. We see our medical uh, societies, entities we once trusted, doctors, we see them uh, cooperating with this very unscientific endeavor, and we see the news media across the globe, with, and, and also, of course, the World Health Organization, all of our health organizations, cooperating in this mass, uh, mass coercion and really delusion-making. What, what do you, what's your assessment of that, uh, Soren? What, I mean, I have my ideas and I have done my own reading, but I want to know what you think. What do you think that they're trying to achieve? Well, you know, I don't, I don't have any idea. Now that we're talking about the Bible, we might as well um, remember what Paul said, that what's going on is not fighting against, um, well, we're fighting against principalities. So I definitely think that there's a huge spiritual dimension to what is going on. Um, the evil in the West, in the United States, in Europe, is just spiraling. Things are happening in the West that would have not even been thinkable, even one or two decades ago. So I think there's a general move toward um, um, sort of a post-Christian worldview where there's no more restraints on morality, there's no more restraints on, there's no more of a Judeo-Christian conception of what's right and wrong. And I think, particularly here in Europe, that there are a lot of left-meaning governments who want to um, do away with their opposition, and it sounds a lot like the United States as well. And so what they're doing is basically they're equating people who are unvaccinated to people who hold certain political beliefs. And so um, what I see really is this is a way to silence um, unwanted um, opinions, unwanted perspectives. Um, and it's just not true that all of the people who are opposed to the vaccines are right or far right. There are just as many center people and left people. Um, I've documented that in some of my articles. It's very clearly this is not a far right um, phenomenon. But you can see that governments are trying to um, shame people who are skeptical about vaccines um, by branding them as neo-Nazi, as far-right. Um, you know, and so I think that they're, they're 
political motives behind this. There are a lot of economic motives behind this. A lot of people are making a lot of money with these vaccines. Yes. And I think that there are um, people who are trying to push through um, unconstitutionally um, policies, and they're taking advantage of um, these restrictions to push through things that otherwise would not work through a parliament, make its way through a parliamentary system. And then there's a spiritual dimension that we talked about just a few minutes ago as well. This has to be seen in a bigger context of what's going spiritually, what's going on spiritually in the West. We really see um, the United States and Western Europe is completely post-Christian. It's completely moved away from any type of Judeo-Christian um, framework of morality that has guided um, the West for millennia, for 2,000 years. And so really at a cusp of a, we're entering really into a completely new era that certainly we who grew up in a relatively stable um, Christian, Judeo-Christian worldview, um, we're not used to this. This is something completely new. And I think we really do have to open our eyes to realize that um, uh, things are not going back to the way they were before this COVID pandemic. Things are not going back to the way they were in 2019. And so, you know, we have to be really aware of, of, of what's going on and be prepared ourselves yeah, and our I families. That, yes, I, I'm, I totally agree. Uh, the thing that makes this different, you know, people have always struggled. There's always been wickedness. There's been the Roman Empire and, uh, you know, the, the the Ottoman Empire and all the wickedness that you and I both know about and things that we don't even know about. Uh, and, and and cultures have always gone through upheaval. I've been watching, I watch a lot of British um, dramas. I just enjoy them. And especially around World War II and Winston Churchill and all that, and World War I. And um, they went through trauma as they prepared to fight the Nazis, and, and it was a terrible evil. The difference here is that this is, as far as I can see, is worldwide. There may be some pockets, mm-hmm. but it's the same creeping wickedness, same brand uh, that I see happening everywhere. And um, it's like it's like a dark, if you could see the world uh, and you just saw this dark ink just covering, just covering the globe a little bit at a time, that's what it seems like to me. And that's what makes it, uh, if we were given to fear, which we're not because of our faith in Christ, um, it would be very fearful, no question about it. As you assess the countries that you follow, and you specialize on Europe, uh, Australia and New Zealand are just horrific right now with their internment camps and all of that. But in Europe, which country do you think is most oppressive right now? Well, it would have to be a toss-up between Austria and France. Um, Austria wants to mandate vaccines, um, obligate everybody in the country to be vaccinated uh, as of the 1st of February. And so this is something completely new. Um, There's one thing what France is doing and using the COVID passport to prevent people from participating in certain aspects of society. But the mandate that every citizen in Austria is vaccinated, um, this is a new thing. And basically, they are subject to fines, unbelievable fines. Um, The first warning fine is 600 euros, which is approximately 650 U.S. dollars. And the second warning is something like 3,000 500 euros, wow. 4,000 yes. US Soren? dollars. Yes, hold that yes. thought, please, because here we are in another break. So 
when we come back, uh, okay. please complete your thought on that. And then we'll talk about people fighting back because they are really fighting back. I've, I've had, I probably got two dozen clips. I'm not going to play them all. Uh, but of different countries and different cities uh, in Italy and Spain and England and Australia, just people in the streets fighting back. Uh, so there is a resistance uh, that you talked about, and let's discuss that also when we return. My guest is Soren Kern, and this is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Well, that's the sound of people marching in the streets of Turin, Italy. Uh, and we've got sounds like that. I probably have 24 clips I could play for you. I've played several of them. Europe is erupting against these lockdowns. Uh, there are protests in Rome and Vienna and the Netherlands. In fact, I, I just saw yesterday a clip of the Dutch using dogs against the protester. I saw one man, the dog had hold of his hand. The man is crying out in pain. It's, it's just horrendous, the things that are happening all over the globe. In fact, the, the Dutch PM... Uh, in spite of those protests, told the public that they couldn't go uh, to be with their grandchildren at Christmas, and a Christmas he basically canceled in the Netherlands. And so you can see that uh, the people of Europe uh, and really all over the globe are suffering uh, from this oppression that is creeping upon all of us. Soren Kern is my guest. Soren is an expert. He lives in Europe. He lives in Spain. Uh, and he's tracking all of this and writing about it. So Soren, before we took the break, you were telling us that uh, it was uh, a France uh, that was really, you thought, maybe the top of the list, and also Austria uh, for their draconian. You said in Austria they're actually fining people these outrageous fines uh, for not being vaccinated at all. Can you pick up with that? Yeah, the government in Austria is trying to force people, whether it's through coercion or whether it's through financial penalty, to get vaccinated. Um, um, Austria right now, the latest data that I saw was 76% um, vaccinated. So it's definitely clear that in Austria, there's a lot more resistance to vaccinations than in um, some of the other countries like France and um, Spain and, and even Germany. What you really see is um, these protests erupting all over Europe. My calculation, my count is more than 300 cities wow. in around 20, 25 countries. So really, this is not just um, a regional thing in, in Austria or in France. This is really an awakening, I think, of publics across the continent. You know, you have to take this in the context of the European Union. The European Union, um, you know, was a good idea. It was a customs union when it was first um, devised after the end of the Second World War. It was The idea was to bind Germany and France together economically so that theoretically they could never go to war against each other again to avoid, you know, the stories of World War One and World War Two. The problem really is that the European Union, over the decades, has become this massive bureaucracy. Um, it's like a Soviet administrative state yes, that is anti-Christian, and that anti power. And so yeah. basically, all of these all of these protests are also in the context of people perceiving that national sovereignty is being swept up 
by unelected bureaucrats in Brussels, that national governments are weak, that national governments are taking advantage of the COVID thing to um, suppress dissenting ideas, to, to suppress democracy. And so uh, what I really do see is, um, for example, in Austria, um, in February of 2021, um, there was a new political party that was founded. It's called the MFG um, political party, um, just opposing um, what the government is doing with these um, with, with these COVID mandates. So the latest poll that I saw is roughly four percent of the population. It's not that big, but you really do see that um, um, people are being um, motivated to take to the streets. Um, in very 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 few of these cases. Um, has there been violence? And if there has been violence, um, as far as I can tell, it's by very aggressive police actions, um, like what happened in Amsterdam, the clip that you saw. Yes. Um, the mayor is of the left-wing Greens party, and she said that nobody could protest. And so what, you're, what she's saying basically is that everybody has to obey what she says. And if they take to the streets, they're going to be arrested. So the police... Um, you know, were exceedingly aggressive. Uh, the videos that I saw from the Netherlands, um, but also the protests that we've seen in France and Germany. In general, these protests are very peaceful. Um, but sometimes, as far as I can tell, and I don't want to, you know, blame everything on the police, but I think the um, law enforcement has been extremely aggressive. Probably they're under orders from their political masters to, you know, to contain these protests. But the more they push back um, against the protests, the more the protests are growing. And so I really see this as um, something that's not going to go away. That's something that's going to be a thing that we're going to see throughout um, the coming year. And that is also going to grow into other things. You know, for example, Western media outlets are infuriated when the Poles and the Hungarians um, protect their borders from illegal immigration. Yes. Yep. But nobody says a word when the Western governments are treating their people, their citizens, in this way. So you see the hypocrisy is another one of these issues that people are um, protesting against, um, Freedoms are being taken away from people here. But then the political leaders, they go to Southern Europe for their vacations. They are filmed in restaurants without masks. They are essentially um, um, immune from the lockdowns that they, they themselves are imposing, the restrictions. And so this is creating a huge um, resentment, I think, against the, um, the ruling class in Europe. And I really do think that, for example, the French are going to have elections in April, and it's going to be close. Um, President Macron is going to have a real challenge on his hand from the right um, for all of, due to all of these measures, um, due to the, the mass migration, the inability to control Islamism, or the unwillingness to control it. Uh, now all of these um, really... Um, um, draconian um, measures to enforce vaccinations. So I see really that we're seeing like the beginning of a, you know, a protest movement on a large scale in Europe. And I think this is really a very positive thing that things. 
cannot continue the way they're going. European countries um, cannot continue giving up their sovereignty to unelected bureaucrats in the European Union, and local governments can cannot, cannot continue um, taking away liberties and constitutional freedoms without some kind of pushback. Yeah. And so um, I don't know if that is happening in the United States, but I was talking with someone a couple of days ago, and they feel that... Um, with the Second Amendment protections in the United States, which really does not exist here in Europe at all, that Americans have become very complacent because they think that they always can, um, you know, resort to that as a final solution, the Second Amendment. Um, and I thought that was a very interesting perspective because here the people are not, are, you know, are waking up. And it seems to me that the wake up is, the people are waking up more here than they are in the United States, at least um, as far as I can assess the situation. You probably know better. Well, I think but you're I really right. do think uh, this is a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Th- that's, a, that's a very interesting perspective because I think it's true, Soren, that I have wondered myself, why aren't more Americans out in the streets? Now, you have to understand that many are. Like in New York, there were massive protests across the Brooklyn Bridge, a policeman, firemen, uh, med- uh, healthcare workers. There were lots of protests also in Los Angeles, of all places. Uh, there have been protests in Chicago. There have been walkouts at various medical clinics, uh, Vanderbilt in Nashville and Mayo Clinic in Rochester. So you're probably not hearing any of that. Uh, people, uh, you know, and a lot of uh, soldiers and p- uh, others have uh, given up their, they've been removed from the military because they're refusing the vaccine. There is a strong resistance here. But you don't see the thousands in the streets that we're seeing in Europe. And it could be what exactly what you just said. I don't know. Uh, I tell you, there, there was a strong resistance, so don't, don't doubt that here. I do want to know, there's no right or wrong answer, and you know, I'm just curious. Do you think there is any—do you see uh, Christianity or people who profess to be Christians, do you see that as a core of this protest or, or kind of resistance, or do you not see that at all? No, I really don't think Europe is so far post-Christian that you can't really talk of a really coherent Christian presence. Um, You know, Spain is nominally Catholic. France is nominally Catholic. Italy is. But, you know, people don't really have convictions the way you might consider in the United States or, you know, even Canada where pastors are being, um, you know, really persecuted. Um, So I don't really think this has a Christian perspective. This is really... Uh, Christian motivation. I think this is, Europe is too beyond that, in my assessment of the situation. You know, I thought at the beginning of this COVID situation that maybe um, people would, here in Europe, would um, reassess their situation, you know, their spiritual situation, their relationship with God, and that really has not happened at all. Um, You know, it's basically worse, I think, than it was even two years ago with, the depravity in the culture. Yeah. But, well, the re- um, you, you know, I thought that too, like in France, when Notre, Notre Dame, you know, burned down and people were out in the streets with their candles and on their knees, I thought to myself at that time that this might bring revival in France of a sorts, a, a kind of a reassessment of the loss of Western culture and Western civilization and the values it uh, had because of its Judeo-Christian foundation. But I don't, th- I'm with you. I don't think that happened. I have another question for mm-hmm. you. Um, I am really puzzled 
you know, the, the, the Nazism that we cer- certainly still remember here in America, we have shorter memories, I think, than Europe. I think, I thought we did. Uh, Europe is, you know, they just lived. Their parents and grandparents uh, lived through the Nazi regime, both in Germany, for sure, and France, and Italy. Uh, the fascists, do they not stop and think when these when they are clamping down or when they are clamped down upon that this is kind of like Nazism was in Europe? Do they, does it never occur to anyone about that? Yeah, you know, that's a very interesting sort of situation that you're mentioning because um, there is latent anti-Semitism across the board. It's always blamed on the far right. But most of the anti-Semitism in Europe really comes from Israel haters on the left. Um, But what is very interesting is that in some of the protests in Germany, they have been infiltrated by some right-wing extremists who are holding anti-Semitic signs, essentially blaming COVID on the Jews and on Israel. And so what's very interesting is that the German government is saying that they have to shut down the protests. Nobody can protest because the protests are anti-Semitic. So taking in the question that you just asked, it's very interesting that the government is using the, I guess you could say, the excuse of anti-Semitism to shut down debate, which is exactly what happens in, you know, during the Second World War, the complete you know, totalitarianism. And so, um, you know, I don't know if people here just have short memories or if they don't care. Um, You'd be amazed at the amount of anti-Semitism here in Spain. And it might have to do with Roman Catholicism, which believes it's essentially um, the inheritor of all of the promises that God gave to the Jews has been taken over by the Church, particularly in the form of the Catholic Church, sort of a a replacement theology. Replacement, yep. Oh, that's interesting but, that that's in the um, Catholic Church. It's I d- that's that's interesting, Soren. I did not realize that was such a big uh, uh, move or thought uh, group in the in the Catholic Church. It certainly is in Protestantism here in the United States that move to replacement theology, where the 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 Church of today, the Church, the Body of Christ, uh, in the evangelical world, is the replacement for Israel and the promises. I did not know that was in place in the Catholic Church too. How insidious! How insidious and how alike. Look at that same thing. Parallel. What's happening here and what's happening over there. And that's why I think, Soren, we can be sure uh, that this is a spiritual, and you're right, that this is a battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. It has all the harm, hallmarks. And, uh, and that's why uh, I know this is not the kind of interview you usually do because we're both Christians. I can say to you, we can have confidence because we have a mighty God and who nothing surprises him. And those of us that serve him uh, cannot be touched uh, by what's going on in the world. It may be miserable, but we cannot be touched by it because we are, we are his. We're, we're bought and paid for, and we know what the ending is here. Soren Kern writes for Gagestone. We'll put his latest, his article is not quite published yet. We'll put the one he wrote in August about Europe and the mass protests. We'll put that on our Facebook page because it is such a good article. Soren, God bless you and keep your family. And please, let's talk again soon. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.